Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Jonathan Majors is my first guest this week. He's an actor. He's done theater, TV, movies. He hasn't even been in the business all that long, but basically he's a star. Like, I'm not really into betting, but I think I might put good money on Jonathan Majors winning an Academy Award in, I don't know, the next five years. He's basically everywhere. Devotion, Creed Three, most recently Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. On screen, Majors is charismatic and charming when the role calls for it, and he can also turn on a dime to vulnerable and broken. He was in two of my favorite recent movies. He played David in Spike Lee's To Five Bloods, the son of Paul, played by Delroy Lindo. And in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, he played Mont, the best friend to Jimmy. Did you see him today? How'd it go? He said this was a bad idea. Thought you said he was an idiot. Nah, he's just mad because he lost the house. But what if we shouldn't be here? We should be here more. Hmm? Some millionaire? They'd want it because it looks nice. You're the reason it looks nice. When I talked with Jonathan Majors in 2021, he was up for an Emmy for his work on HBO's Lovecraft Country. The show was based on a book by Matt Ruff. The book and the TV series pulled from some of H.B. Lovecraft's most iconic tropes. Dark mansions with hidden secrets, huge monsters covered in eyeballs. Lovecraft was one of genre fiction's most influential writers, but he also wrote essays, stories, and poems that were unapologetically racist, and Lovecraft Country dealt with that, too. Jonathan Majors portrayed Atticus on the show, a young black man traveling across the U.S. in the 1950s to find his missing father. Atticus embarks on the supernatural journey alongside his friend Letitia and his uncle George. There are plenty of moments where the three fight to escape literal monsters, but they also face down terrors that are much less fantastical. Racist police, cross burnings, lynchings. Let's hear a bit from the show. Atticus is on his way home to look for his lost father. The bus breaks down, leaves him to walk to the next town. An older woman who is also on the bus accompanies him. She asks him about a book he's reading. Tell me. What's that book you've been reading about? The Princess of Mars? Mm-hmm. It's about this man named John Carter. He goes from being a captain in the Army of Northern Virginia to becoming a martial warlord. Huh. It starts with him running from Apaches and hiding in this magical cave which transports him to the Red Planet. That's when it starts to get good. Hold on. You said the hero was a Confederate officer. Ex-Confederate. He fought for slavery. You don't get to put an X in front of that. Stories are like people. Love them doesn't make them perfect. You just try and cherish them. Overlook their flaws. Jonathan Majors, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Uh, My pleasure. My pleasure, brother. 
So you've got some vet stories running through your work. Mm. The Five Bloods is a story in which you play the son of a vet. Love The Lovecraft show, you play a vet who's come home. And you grew up uh, partly a military brat. Mm -hmm. Tell me about what you understood about the military when you were a kid. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Uh, I mean, it, it's... Um, the. I guess as a child, as a, as a young boy, it was um, respect. I mean, that's what it was. It was respect and posture. And then I, th I believe as I, as I began to get older and we moved off the base and got to take in more life, I realized that this uh, military um, lifestyle or way of being uh, really established a, a really clear decorum in my life about how to do things in a, in a certain way. You know, you make your bed, you clean the dishes, you say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you know? And that, and that, it also came from being, you know, raised in the Methodist and the Baptist uh, church and, and also just being a, a Texan, you know, though we were, we were based in California for a while. I, both my parents are, um, of Texas uh, uh, birth, you know, so uh, yeah, the military had a huge, uh, quiet impact on on kind of who I who I became as a as a man and who I became as a as an artist and who I believe I'm I'm, I'm still becoming. I think. Was it your dad who was in the service? Yeah, my father was. Um, my father was in the Air Force, and uh, my uh, maternal grandfather was in the. Uh, army and my paternal grandfather was in the navy, so we almost we almost got them all. And I was going to be a marine. I was ready to uh, drop out of um, not drop out. I guess I guess it, I mean drop out, drop out, drop out of Yale. My uh, my first year uh, and join the Marines. And so I guess that would have given us the uh, the full quatrain um, for the um, U.S. Armed Services. But alas, that didn't come to be. Or maybe not, alas. You're doing all right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not a Marine, though, you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Yeah, I, I grew up going to Vets AA meetings with my dad. So mm. when I was seven or eight years old, I would, like, sit in the back and draw and hear, <laughs> hear really brutal and intense stories about being in the military. Yeah. And... um. I wonder if you had any understanding of, I don't know if your father was a combat vet, but um, uh, if you had any understanding of what it was to uh, be in the service or be in war beyond standing up straight. Uh, my father or me personally? If you had any understanding of that. Oh man, yeah, it's, um, it's, kind, of, it's kind of strange how it comes about. War is a very real thing, you know, um, and it's, I, I believe it's always kind of happening around us. And some of us are enlisted in a certain war and we know it. And some of us are enlisted in a war and we don't. And though I never, you know, I, I'm not a, I am not a veteran. You know, I was never a soldier uh, in any capacity, but being raised by soldiers and, you know, having the the life I I led really put me in some what I would call war zones, you know, 
Uh, and not to put too, too fine of a point on it, but being being a young kid anywhere is tough. Being a young black kid in the South is tough. Being a young black male in the South is tough. Being a young black male in the South who has a certain build is tough. You know, like you, you do begin to learn how to uh, war and to protect yourself, um, both mentally and uh, physically and spiritually. And, and yeah, you, you, there's a certain amount of bearing that you have to have in order to survive. And um, yeah, I think I definitely took that on and, and kind of carry that with me. You know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not, but, I have it nonetheless. Even more with Jonathan Majors still to come. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This is Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with the actor Jonathan Majors. He's the star of Lovecraft Country, Creed Three, and the new Ant-Man movie. Let's get back into our conversation. What did you know about the circumstances of your dad leaving when he left when you were, uh, what was it, like about eight years old? Yeah, it's deep, man. Um, you, you know, as much as, it, you know, it's, it's uh, I'm 31 years old now, uh, almost 32, and you don't know certain things until time. Time has a way of of making things clear to you and or to one and to me. And in regards to my father, man, it was... Um, it was deep because the first thing, you know, if we're going to talk about it, and I think it's a common, a common thing, you know, it's like the, the, the stages of grief. First, you don't, you don't believe it, right? If it say it happens at eight, you know, you don't, you don't really buy into it till about eleven. You know what I mean? Um, and then by then, it's you get too much, too much love for you know the other parties involved to ask questions. You just. You just hold your bearing and soldier on. Truth be told, it's still a conversation that, you know, in my own personal growth would have to happen, you know, man to man to hear the why of it. We all know what it was, but what is the why of it? You know, as an artist, that's what I'm most interested in. You know, what we do is, that's neither here nor there. Why are we doing it? That's what, that's the character, you know, and that's the thing to really examine uh, for me and continuing to love him and trying to build something with him, you know, um, after that, after that type of um, experience. So not much, you know, we've never, I, we've never gotten into it and, 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 and it's going to take a big part of me to do that. Hopefully that'll, that'll come around sometime. He was gone throughout your childhood. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. know that was real when you were a kid? Yeah, I think it's it's deep, man. There's an image I remember. It's almost as if my mother told me, you know, they were they were, you know, it wasn't working out. It's almost as I as, I, as if I knew the outcome. I knew that I had lost my I had lost my guy. You know what I mean? And I just went outside and banged on this tree. Just banged, just wailed on this tree, man. And I came back in and she said, is the tree okay? And um, <laughs> I, said, uh, I said, I don't know, mama. You know, and then 
probably went into my room and destroyed my room, which 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 was which is a bad habit of mine when I was a boy. But um I don't know, man. That's pretty much all I can say about that it, it, on that point. I think I'm just sitting in it. I'm just I haven't haven't thought about it in a in a beat, you know. Yeah, I haven't thought about it. that moment, that particular moment, you know, the tree and my mom. You play it out. You play it out. You know, the imagination does that. I mean, that's something I've always been. Uh, I've always fallen victim to, you know. Um, actually, I can't say victim. That's not true. I've always been uh, very close to my imagination. And it's there for a reason. It's it's like uh, it's like the God particle in us, you know, that allows us to think and create worlds and circumstances outside of our given circumstances, you know, which you know helped me, you know, find a path to live and to work and gave me purpose, you know. But in that moment, it really you know, spooked me, and 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 though time had to go on, you know. Certain events have to had to pass. You know, Christmases had to go by, and birthdays had to go by, and to really know, like, yeah, that's it. That happened to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that happened to you. And then when you see, you know, you see the the fella, you know, twelve, thirteen years later. You know, it's a uh, it's a different experience. Yeah. <laughs> did you talk to him in the when he was gone? Did you ever say to your mom, "Can I call him?" Or did he ever call you? Oh man, it was it was crazy, man. It was. Um, I wonder. I, I wonder. You know how much of this I should say, and how much of it is. You know. Uh, I don't mind it though. You know, but no, there was a, there was a real, there was a real effort for kids, man. You know what I mean? Like, there's a real effort to. Kids don't really hold malice. You know what I'm saying? That's something we're taught. Um, but yeah, I tried to make make contact a lot, you know, a lot, a lot, a whole lot. And, uh, you know, it was fated for whatever reason that that was to happen. And fight as I, fight as I did to make it feel better. It was just something I had to swallow, you know, and not just me. I mean, my, my whole family, I mean, it was, it was, I guess I can speak to it because it, it is a it is a very developing event, you know, in my life. You can't shake certain things like that. I mean, you want to talk about war. I mean, war with a ghost is something that you can't, I guess some do, but and not even a ghost with an idea. That's a hard that's a hard pill to swallow, you know? And you're not equipped for it, you know, at such a young age and But you do. I mean, we're 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 we are a strong species, and you know, I think even then, I knew I was an artist uh, to a degree, and I knew that. It's funny when I got to my first drama school, someone said to me, uh, you know, and I'm I'm sure it's a a common uh, anecdote, but nothing bad ever happens to an artist. It's all material. And when, when I, you know, at 18, you know, those circumstances still being what they were, I, I realized I had a great deal of material. A great deal of material to pull from, and and lo and behold, and, and those things because because the material is immaterial, you know, it is it is imagination in a way. You apply it in different ways, you know. I could apply it to 
you know, characters I was playing, I understand and understood at a very young age what it was to be, you know, quote unquote betrayed. I mean, how many, <laughs> how many, you know, nine year olds understand that? You know, how many, really, how many eighteen year olds understand that? These are these are things that hopefully one never experiences, but time goes along, and time has a way of 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 giving you gifts, you know, and sometimes they're they're packaged in pain, but it does it does benefit you, you know. I I I really think that's the the beauty of being, you know, an artist for me, that you know, the heartache is inevitable. And you just kind of uh deal with it and metabolize it and learn from it and use it. It must have been pretty intense to work into Five Bloods, which is a movie about a, a group of African-American Vietnam vets who go back to Vietnam, and you play Delroy Lindo's character's son, who goes back with them. It, it must have been intense to be on this like literal physical journey, right? You're yeah. going to a foreign country, and you have this guy who is your on-screen and metaphorical dad in Delroy Lindo. Yeah. Who is portraying a soldier, yeah. an Yvette, yep. while you are also, <laughs> you know, you're a few years into trying to reestablish what your relationship with your biological dad is. Sure. Um, that must have been a pretty intense experience to have those two things going on at the same time. Man, it, you know, I say this all the time. I think I should just start every interview with it. You know, growth as an artist and growth as a human being are simultaneous. That's just that's just I mean that's an adage that was given to me um, in school and I've I've really held on to it and when a role like David picks you you know in the situation you're in and you know we're protected in a way because not in a way we're protected you know under the guidance and the authorship of uh, Spike Lee he's put this whole cast together there's no other way to go into it. You know, we're going into war. I mean, shooting film <laughs> is very much like going into war. You know, um, sometimes you, you you feel like you have the higher ground, <laughs> and sometimes you feel like you don't. Um, you know, and it's your crew. It's the it's the film against the elements. That's always a factor. You know, making a making a movie is a miracle. But the Five Bloods and working with um, uh, the giant uh, Delroy. It was a personal experience insofar that what David was going after is something that I understood for myself to be something that I I knew I needed and, and need for myself. Just the relationship between father and son. And and what does that look like? Now look, we've gotten into the, look, we were we were maybe twenty minutes, maybe fifteen minutes into this thing. I gotta say, man. I had great, 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 great uh, f- uh, father figures in my life. You know, nothing, nothing can and does replace dad. You know what I mean? In my situation, um, but I didn't want for any guidance in any way. You know, sometimes I fought against it. But I had a great uncle. I had my great, I had my, I had my grandfathers that were awesome. Um, and I had a hell of a mom. Uh, I only bring up those, you know, familial um, icons because stepping into the five bloods, you know, it was like we ste- it was like stepping into another family in a way. And Spike 
still to this day is is a guiding light, you know, and a coach and a mentor for me. And Delroy, I mean, I mean, we really, we really, we really went after it, you know, because he too has a son, you know, and and we're really just in there. I'll speak for David. David's really just in there trying to work out his, you know. And the beauty about good art, not even good art, art in general, is that the artist is always trying to work out their, you know. And here I was in a position where I look across from me and I see this this black man, you know, who, who's calling me son. And all David wants in that film, you know, it's it's never about the gold for David. And and he says it, you know. I say it to David. We say it to uh, Otis, you know. Said, it feels like it's my last time with him, you know, so the stakes are high to get to know the father, to get to know one of your origins. I think that's a very human thing to want and to need. And I know it is for me, you know, to, uh, to this day, um, to really get to know where you come from, you know, and from whom you come from. And so David really got to work that out. Now it's his entire mission to see and feel and understand, understand his father's love. That's a deep thing. And that's what the script offered me. And that's really what Spike was gifting me. And Delroy was a great scene partner insofar that it's not all yes, sir, no, sir. When the heat gets hot, you know, especially when the son has been in the world a bit and is trying to find his own footing, trying to find his own place. You you push it a little bit. And David does push it a little bit. But it's the push and pull of that, him trying to be his own man, but also trying to find who he is through his father. He has a wonderful experience, and and, and there's a healing in that very much like um, um, Montrose and Atticus. You know, the work has been very uh, rewarding and healing. Was there anything that you wanted to ask your dad when you reconnected with him? Yeah, you know, you try it. You try it, man. You know, and like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a therapist. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know how to, you know, and I'm, I'm a very sensitive cat. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a bit of a crab baby, you know, all those things. But, you know, it's a it's a journey. It's a journey to to, to, to do that. And we've, I've tried it. Um, tried it when I was a boy. Uh, and then, you know, at, at damn near 32 years of living, Maybe after this conversation, you know, because we've we've dug it up. I may holler back at him and, you know, and just say, "Hey, man, what's up?" You know, because some of it, and and here and here's the weird part, man. Some of it's understood. Some of it is understood, not necessarily absolved, but understood, and you now stand apart from that individual. You know, you share a last name and. You share blood and you are a part of a a team, a part of a lineage. And just because one is one way doesn't mean you have to be that way. And it's actually you being a different way and being more individual is what buoys the entire legacy. And that runs back to Atticus, the legacy of the Freeman family. We all know what's going on with the Montrose and Atticus situation. You know, there's a lot of, um, there's a great deal of pain in that. Atticus has not succumbed to it. 
<laughs> yeah, she goes and goes. He go he goes to the paint. He goes and gets them because ultimately, it's about love and and and. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's a John Mayer song, you know, that you love who you love, and it's actually about you know an amorous companion, you know. But you love who you love, man, and and I mean those guys love their dads, you know. Atticus loves his dad. I would I would reckon to say that that's a an overall truth, unless something. I mean, unless it's not. If it's not, it's not. You know, you can't change that. But yeah, Atticus runs towards the pain of it. You know, he goes and gets his dad. You know, because love, the love he has for him snuffs it up. You know, and who wouldn't go get, you know, Michael K. Williams? And, you know, <laughs> who, wouldn't go, who wouldn't go find him and bring him? We'll finish up with Jonathan Majors in just a minute. Stick around. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. If you have trouble falling asleep, try sleeping with celebrities. Tell me about your view of of succulents. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan. It's a different kind of sleep podcast. There are some real benefits to parking illegally. Featuring remarkable guests and unremarkable topics. There's two Orlando airports. From the creator of Depression Mode with John Moe, it's Sleeping with Celebrities. Every week on Maximum Fun. Nighty night sleepyheads. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Jonathan Majors. He's an actor. You might have seen him in Five Bloods or on the Marvel TV show Loki. These days, you can see him in Creed 3 and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania. When he and I talked in 2021, he'd just been nominated for an Emmy for his role in the HBO horror drama Lovecraft Country. He played Atticus. You can stream the show in its entirety on HBO Max. Let's get back into our conversation. I don't know if you've ever read it. I think I'm allowed to talk about it. It's been a few years since I brought it up on the show, even though I've probably brought it up five times. But David Mamet wrote this book about acting. True and false? Just like, yeah. Yeah, break it down. So Okay, so like all David Mamet things, there is some entertaining bloviating in it, like... Uh, he's, you know, he says a lot of stuff that he, that it's clear he thinks it would be fun to say. Um, and he does a great job of it. That's his specialty. Yeah. But like basically the premise of this book is, (laughs) it's a very entertaining book. The premise of this book is that actor's job is to say the lines loud enough so the audience can hear. (laughs) Uh And then this, the secondary premise is, uh, theater education and acting education besides that is dumb. <laughs> and I, I really like this book. Yeah. When I was reading it, the thing that occurred to me is that as much as David Mamet is complaining about, you know, whatever, an acting exercise where everybody in the class has to pretend to be a different kind of tree or whatever. Um <laughs> Like, <laughs> so I don't know why that's so funny. I'm looking at all these <laughs> trees in front of me, you know, and I'm just thinking about <laughs> me and my classmates, just like, yep, been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things that I think Mamet maybe misses, you know, maybe intentionally, right. uh, is that to be the person who is acting, who is saying the words loud enough so that the audience can hear, mm-hmm. to be, you know, 
William H. Macy in one of those Come on. mammoth plays. Come on. There is a kind of presence and absence of self that sp- spending years <laughs> in a room full of people pretending to be different kind of trees cultivates because it it <laughs> it's so embarrassing mm. in a way that mm. it leaves you that it leaves you, you know, outside of performance, right? It's, you have to be present to accept that premise that we're all going to pretend to be trees. You have to be there and just do it. There's not a, mm-hmm. there's not a halfway way after a while to pretend to be trees with 12 other people. Mm-hmm. So at some point, you just have to be present and say the words loud enough so that the audience can hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I wonder how you feel about acting education as a guy who got over 10 years of it. <laughs> it's funny you say this, man, because I'm 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 literally having this exact conversation right now. And like right now, like I, like every morning with, with my pal, we're sitting in the cafe and uh he and I have a theater company together and we're always talking about pedagogy and, and he teaches independent of me um at a very good school and I'm always on his about like yeah man but that's that's you know what I mean like like it's, it's got, you know like like and and I and I will say about brother Mamet like the artist to artist not man to man I don't, I don't know the cat but that is that is the I feel that and come at me Mamet if I'm wrong you know what I mean but I do feel that like that is a clear perspective of someone who is a master of the craft right a complete master of the craft if he's got a problem with me saying that I will I'll give you my address bro. Come see me. Um, uh, but no, I mean, Mamet is a master of his craft, a complete master of his craft. And so I understand the sentiment, you know. However, here's my take on, on should we start with the trees or should we start with theater training in general? Um, <laughs> theater training, theater training is, in my opinion, Wow. Okay. Here it comes. Right. So you did say you know ten years of training. Now, I know myself. Right. I'm just gonna speak for myself. I know myself. And again, this goes to, I guess, the upbringing of 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 being a military brat and also being you know, growing up in a very disciplinary, uh, being raised by disciplinarians, uh, mother, father, grandparents, etc. It's a part. Of, it's just a part of it. Right. And my just civilian ego of not liking the idea that artists are not, and particularly actors are not viewed as real professionals in certain circles, right? And and predominantly in our country, in the in the United States, in the United States of America, um, it's, there were so many jokes about us, you know. Oh, you're a waiter, and then and then that that leads to this conversation with actors of like. Oh, I'm not an actor unless I'm unless I'm like you know on a show or doing this or doing that. And I go, okay, 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 okay. My mind um, went to that place probably when I was about uh, 19, and then it really hit it, hit it at 21. At 21, I was in drama school already, and I was finding that I was locked. You know what I mean? I was locked. I was I was in a place where I I could I could easily hit the target for what it is my teacher was asking me to do, right? That's that discipline, that's that militancy. I could do that. And and it's just my opinion, you know, where I was in my craft and in my growing. And then 
it was this, it was, it was late at night and I, and I, and I was working with, with my dear friend um, and classmate. We were working on Jesus Hop the A-Train, um, Stephen, Stephen Alley Gurgis. I don't know if he lives in New York. I don't know if he's from New York. I'm pretty sure he is. But it's about that life. It's about real people. Anyways, I'll, I'll make it quick. Um, but it was in that moment we were rehearsing and something unlocked, right? And I went, oh, man. I've told this story before. I went, oh, man, I'm talking to my buddy outside the pickle jar, which is where we, it's like our community area at the school. And um, it's early in the morning or late at night, however you view it. And I was like, oh, man, you saw that. We all saw it. It was just he and I in the studio. And it was, I couldn't explain what it was, uh, but we see, I see it in other actors all the time. But what it was, it was this freedom, right? It was this untamed response to language, right? Which I think is what Mammoth is talking about. Stand there and say it, right? If you give an untamed creature, right, a, a task, it will be natural. It will be honest. It will be true. The thing about being an actor is that we train and train and train and train and train, and then we're trained. But we have to train, and it and it happens for different different times. And, diff- and some people are just madly gifted, you know, where it's different. But you want to work until you're untamed, right? And what the school, what schools should do, is focus on what it is to be untamed and conscientious of what it is you are doing. That is what we. That is what I hope to strive for in my work, that I am conscious of what it is I am doing. You know, that, that does leave room for the spirit. We, we may not even get to that today. But I'm conscious of what it is I'm doing. The training is keeping me on the rails of the thing I have crafted, right? And the craft comes from my imagination, from the imagination of my collaborators. But it is not to speak clearly, though I can. It is, though we can as artists, it is not to you know, absolutely, oh, minute now, absolutely hit the mark, right? Though I can, you know what I mean? You know, like, and, and that's the collaboration element of it, right? That's like filmmaking, storytelling, you know, when the actor is collaborating with, with other artists, right? But my take on drama school is, it's more of a take on philosophy and approach. Acting like everything else is an approach, right? Otherwise, it's just a skill set. But there is an approach to it, and the approach, I think, in drama schools, not at large, is that there's a you know they call it the class you know classically trained, you know there's a certain way of doing things, and and I'll say to any actors listening, you know, there's a certain way of doing things, and you got to get your work done, but you also have to be able to harness that untamed element in yourself, you know, and a school can't can't give you that. But they should, in some ways, be moving towards it. Because ultimately, we want to see stories about people. And people don't, not every character you play went to drama school. Oh. <laughs> All right. I mean, I don't know. That's a mess, man. But I, I hope you I hope you get what I'm saying. You know, I mean, it's po- it's like this is like politics for, 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 for actors. You know what I mean? Like, real politics. And, and who the f- Am I talking? I mean, I've got again, like, unfortunately or fortunately, I, I mean, I did what I did, and I went to the schools I went to, and I have beef with those schools. You know what I mean? Like, I also have great thanks to those schools. You know, it's um, like any any real relationship, it's it's bittersweet. I wouldn't take it back, but man, it was not easy. 
there's this thing that people say about rappers. Like if you watch like a really intense freestyle on, you know, one of these videos of people rapping on Hot 97 or on Sway and Tech or something like that. You know, like that one, there was one that went around like maybe two years ago of Black Thought, just bars and bars and bars and bars and bars and bars that went on for like 10 minutes. And they say he blacked out. Yeah. Right? And, you know, that is true of many art forms, but I think few as much uh, as acting where, you know, you have these parameters, right? You have given circumstances, you have a script. You have marks to hit yep. if you're on film. Yep. Um, you have spike you know, marks you if have, you're on stage. Yeah, yeah. You got you've got blocking. You know, you've got a you got to cross up stage at this certain time, whatever it is, right? You have all of these things that you have to execute. You maybe you don't. You're doing an accent. You have to get the accent <laughs> yeah, right. Correct. Like there's the you know you you shape your body in a certain way. All of these things are given to you, and you just have to be able to accept them all as true yep. in a very pure way yep. and then act like a human being um then just be a human being uh and that is like a crazy that is a crazy trick to me <laughs> that i definitely could never do like i never was able to do all that stuff and also get out of my head that's deep man because the the common day what we call an actor now right is historically um you know it's the shaman. That's who we are. Like that's where we come from. Every culture has it. The griot, the shaman, you know, the witch doctor. We have that gene. And there is a sense of trance, there's a sense of elevation, there's a sense of something that does possess the artist to tell the story a certain way, you know, with a certain uh passion. You know, with a certain vigor, it's a part of. It. I mean, I think you gotta be a little crazy, <laughs> you know, to be uh, to be an actor. I mean, I think everyone's a little crazy in general, but to be an actor is is that you you are willing to you know really come up against your crazy, and and sometimes that's helpful and sometimes it's not. But if you're an artist, you don't really have a choice in that. You know, you just hope that you have the again back to back to the topic we began with, you know, the decorum of a lifestyle that gives you uh, barriers and boundaries, you know, for yourself, that you have the discipline to go there. I, you know, I say a lot of times to some, some cats, like, the actor has to be the sanest person in the room, because what they're asking you to do between action and cut is take your soul and throw that across the wall. You know what I mean? Like, chuck it. And then pick it back up and do it again. You know what I mean? That's what they're that's that's what you're signing up for, you know. That's what you're signing up for. Um hopefully you take pleasure in that and hopefully you understand one understands the service and the benefit and the gift it is for not just oneself but for the world as 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 a whole. Yeah. Well, Jonathan Majors, I'm so grateful to you for taking this time to be on Bullseye. It was nice to get to talk to you. Oh, man. <laughs> we, it was all right. Yeah. yeah. It was my pleasure, man. My pleasure. And and thank you for thank you for being a ear in some ways, man. I, I didn't know I was going to talk about any of that. 
Jonathan Majors. As we said before, you can watch him in the new movies Creed 3 and Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And uh, I will say, in addition to those movies, if you haven't seen The Last Black Man in San Francisco, go watch it. It's on Canopy, which you can probably get for free with your library card in most places. It's just a spectacular, beautiful movie that I loved so much. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here at my house, the hail was so hard and heavy that it piled up on my sloped roof like a blizzard. It was absolutely bananas. And now it is like clear and warm outside. Los Angeles is very weird. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Tabitha Myers and Brianna Paz. We get booking help on the show from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is composed and provided to us by Dan Wally, a.k.a. DJW. Our theme song is by the great band The Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation. Thanks to The Go Team. Thanks to Memphis Industries, their label, for letting us use that. Bullseye is on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. You can find us in those places. Follow us. We will share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.